Will, if you could give a speech as to why you would like to be in the house. Go ahead, please. Okay. Traditionally, the uh, nominees uh, speak to the veto holder individually because they're looking for one person to help them. But if it's okay with George, the power of veto holder, and James, the HOH holder, I'd like to speak to the house as a group. This is truly an all-star season because I'm astonished by your gameplay here. Now, a lot of you have come up to me and you've said, Will, you don't really seem like you're into it. You don't really seem like you want to play. And you said, why? What was the reason for that? And I said to myself, I don't know. I don't know why I can't be. I don't understand it. So I had to heart to heart with myself. And I said, Will, what is the reason? Why are you having such a hard time playing? And this is the truth. Season two, the season that I won, there was a lot of people I hated. And it was easy for me to motivate and find individuals that I disliked. And it gave me power. It gave me a reason to want to remove people from the game. Then I thought, so why haven't I had that motivation? And I thought it was because I really liked everyone here. But then I realized it was the opposite of that. I can't find an individual to hate because I hate you all. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask to be removed from this game by you all. Now, if you refuse to kick me out, I will be throwing every competition, I will throw every HOH, I will throw every POV, and I will throw every food competition. So Chicken George, please don't use the power of veto on me. I want this nomination to stay in place. I encourage you to use it yourself. You know why? This man is a badass. He went up against the five wickedest, freakiest Big Brother players, and he whooped their ass. Don't use it. Vote me out. Mezzanine sleepover. Fucking A. I know, right? The Wilster. You've been watching some Big Brother All-Stars. You know, uh, I watched... By the way, I'm, I'm the slip, man. Five eyes are slip. I'm at MigMix.com. Let's get into it. Episode 114 of the Mezzanine sleepover. Uh, I uh, I rewatched Big Brother All-Stars, which originally was aired in uh, 2006 in the summer. But yep. I, uh, I watched it again about four years ago. Yep. I think I watched it through, and then, I, I don't know, I was just like, I want to watch something kind of easy to watch. And so I started watching it again. And you know what? It's fucking such a magnificent season of reality television. Oh, it's just, fantastic. Just the stories that that, that, that yep. come over. So so what happens, of course, is that Will, who was the winner of season two, and, and uh, my favorite reality star ever. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Com- Will, the comes, evil doctor. Comes back into the house in season seven, and he's got his sidekick fucking Mike Boogie with him. And they're they're basically pitted <laughs> up against these four assholes from the season before. who That were likable the season before. Kind of. Like, but I think it's because they had people that were worse than them. Kind of. In, retro- in retrospect, they were, in season six, they were all kind of despicable. Because yeah. there was one group that was all self-righteous and fucking thought that they were like, really good people but really they were dicks and and they didn't realize they didn't realize that on the outside of the house like people who watched the show hated them yeah but these season six people were all bullies fucking howie all bullies a woman in the house like all the time about her about her fucking blonde hair and her tits oh like the whole time that's what he did so then in season seven it's just like all these fucking personalities that i can't stand and they all are super cocky at the start because they go in with the biggest alliance. There are four of them from one season. Terrible. And and then they're like, well, you know, we're going to fucking just take everyone out. And they, they cheer and whoop themselves. Uh, Howie all is uh, cheers so loudly when they win a competition. And then he gets kind of chastised by his team to tone it down. And so in the diary room, he's all, yeah, well, everybody was going after us from the start. So what in your face? And it's like, They've won every competition up to that point. No one's gone after them. It was so infuriating. So anyways, uh, but ultimately they all fucking get theirs by Will. Will fucking picks oh. them all off. Yep. He, he didn't, he, he, by the way, didn't win the season. He gets voted out near the end, but then fucking his, his buddy Boogie wins. But Will all fucking manipulates everyone. Like everyone. My fucking, oh, my wife. Uh-oh. It's Uh-oh. back. All right. I'm here. Yep. 
So I'm he, back. Yeah, so he fucking manipulates the shit out of everybody, and it's great. Yeah, it's a fantastic season, and then Boogie wins. Yep. So anyways, I just played that clip of Will's speech where he's like, hey, vote me out. And of course, they didn't. No, like, again, like, it's like, why? Because you know what? People are stupid. You know, over George... Hey, a few weeks ago, you played Lex and his special friend Favor from Survivor All-Stars. And if there's anything that you can say in this world that is a constant is that many people are fucking stupid. Uh, you know what? And also, watching this season, it's so hard watching George. Like, so hard. Oh, I know, right? He's he, the chicken man! He's, you know what, George, he is... My hair's blue! He is, you know, in his heart, he's a fucking nice dude. He's a really nice guy. But he yeah, is oh yeah. fucking dumb as fuck and clueless, and it's hard totally. to watch. And I, I feel totally. bad for him because it's totally one of those situations where he's just the odd man out because he's older, but also because he's just not with it and not cool. So the other house members, you know, they're trying to be nice, but ultimately kind of just ignore him. And I, I feel bad. He's all by himself. Yep. So anyways. He was a popular character in his, in, in what, season two or something? Season one. Season one. That's right. That's the season I watched. Yeah. So. The worst season of them all. Um, yeah. So it's, that's, uh, I'd like to go back and watch some of that. It'd be pretty good. Uh, I remember trolling on MySpace. That was always good. <laughs> trolling the people who, who love the season sixers. Uh-huh. Fucking awesome. We fucking showed them. We were all in our late 20s, and the people we were up against were probably in high school. Showed them. Probably. We're all, fuck Janelle. <laughs> Janelle's a criminal. She shoplifted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Classic. So uh, before we get into the main event today, and as promised, we're going to be talking about In Your House Canadian Stampede. You know what? Like when we when we came up with that last week, at the end of the show, and we said Canadian Stampede at the exact same time, that was pretty awesome. Awesome. So we're gonna talk about that, but of course, before we get into that, uh, let's catch up. And and we're gonna be this. Uh, we're recording this on the fourth of December. This will be released uh, in a week on the eleventh. So maybe we'll be behind the times in a week. But fuck it, let's take that risk. Yeah, let's take the risk. What do you got? What do you got to get off your chest? Um. You know what? I'm gonna talk about Jets fans. <laughs> No! All right. Let's hear it. Uh, My main observation with Jets fans. So the Jets still fucking flying high. Like, they're they're beating up on teams now. They're legit. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. I, yesterday, they, they kicked the Sens' ass, and uh, there was one person out there that's like, yeah, well, they're supposed to beat bad teams. And it's like, yeah, they are. Like, and they did. Like, People are downplaying that win because it's a bad team, and it's like, you know what? The Jets never used to beat bad teams. No, they used to lose to bad teams. So Now listen, there's going to be plenty of tough games coming up, and uh, there's going to be plenty of stuff, but they've positioned themselves really well to finish in that top third of that conference. Yeah, but you know what? As good as things are going, the Jets are like the legitimate like top of the league, and so are yep. the Moose, and... You know, it's still a lot of season ahead, but there's no real reason to believe that this is like they may not maintain first, but I don't think they're going to slip off that badly. No, I think I think they'll they'll be up right right in the hunt. But you know, Jets fans just <sighs> they're I don't think that they're going to be happy about this until uh, us people here in Toronto recognize the team. I guess because it's just constant constant talk about like yeah, well. It'll Toronto will talk about us at some point. Well, we'll see what they say in Toronto. Oh, no, they're going to talk about Austin to. Matthews. And it's like, why does that matter? Like, your team is legitimately first overall 30 games into the season. Like, heights never seen for professional hockey in Winnipeg. And you're no. and you're so upset about what Toronto thinks? Like, And, and the, fun, the best thing about it is, is that Toronto's never going to give a shit. Well, here's the other thing. I don't know if people know this or not, but Toronto kind of has its own hockey team to, to worry about. They got a they, they got a pretty good hockey team. They do, but it's not like like I would ask the same questions about Calgary or Vancouver or anywhere else. Why aren't they talking more about the Jets? Well, they they kind of have their own teams, and the people in those cities care first and foremost about their team. Yeah, and you know if the Jets make a run in the playoffs and other Canadian teams get knocked out, I assure you people will jump on that bandwagon. But right now, because Canadians are stupid. <laughs> but right now. People have their yeah. own things to worry about. So Jets fans, don't worry. If if it never picks up in Toronto, it's okay. It doesn't make the team less of a first place team right now. So don't rain on your own parades, guys. Like be happy. What is 
What is the obsession with, like, other random people all caring about something you care about? I don't understand it. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand how it's... How, how it even crosses somebody's mind. That it's like, TSN doesn't cover the Jets enough. Well, because we're not the biggest market. <laughs> Sorry. Like, you know, you can't, you can't get your Jets news anywhere else. I know, right? I mean, I mean the state... The, sorry, the team-run media. I mean, that should be enough. I mean, they've taken over the fucking market. There's, well, it's all right there on their website. I mean, That's all you gotta do. According to the latest, uh, the latest radio ratings, people aren't even paying attention to their own content of the Jets. Oh, they, they don't listen to T. They don't listen to TSN here. No. No. What are they? What are they? Fucking thirteenth now. Oh, it was, and they dropped like a full point. In you the, know, in sh- sh- shut that fucking station down. <laughs> you know what? The thing is, it's it is a like if I'm TSN and I see that, and if I listen to that 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 uh, station for a day and if i'm sitting in the tsn offices and i listen to that station for a day and i look at their ratings at what point are you like you know this is harming our brand <laughs> like, it has to be it's it's terrible content it's got terrible personalities it's it's getting trounced in the ratings by fucking the new kiss fm <laughs> like like CBC Radio Two is nipping at its heels, for God's sakes! And you know what? Like, of like course, no one cares what TSN has to say. Of course, you know Twitter's going to have a lot of differing opinions. But when this came out, I really only saw like maybe differing opinions about why TSN is bad. But it was all TSN is bad because of this or that. Yeah, and there's re- and it, even if your reasons don't line up with everybody else's. You know, we all reached the same conclusion. It's terrible. Yeah. So, so anyways. So uh, time, time to cut bait on that. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, the fact, I mean, you know, you can go to their morning show and that's bad enough, but those fucking chuckleheads on this illegal curve, just as bad. Um, so my, my only other comment, and it's just about one post that someone put up today and it's like okay. one of the usual suspects, um, on the side that I'm not on was like. Well, you know, yeah, we are first, but you know, let's let's kind of hold back before being uh, douchebags about it. And I was just like, it's kind of too late. My thought was, how about you just don't be douchebags about it? Like, it's one thing to be mad, like because I make fun of the Jets when they're bad. That's because they're bad, and I'm right. They're bad, and I'm making fun of them because they're bad. But to act like a douche, like in general, about a team that's good is fucking stupid. Like, why do you need to be braggadocious about about your hockey team? Just don't. Yeah, and someone all made a meme about another person on Twitter. Who, oh, like, yeah? you know, I won't name the person, but you know who it is. It's it's a resident Jets critic. And someone oh, all, I can imagine who it is. Yeah, and yeah, someone okay. and someone all memed. It's all like in your face person's handle from Twitter. Oh, I think I saw that. Didn't it say like put that in your pipe and smoke yeah. it? I'm all who the fuck made that? Like my dad? <laughs> like Jesus Christ! But it's also like what yeah. like. What? Like, again, I, we said this a few weeks ago. Like, stick it in whose face? Like, what are you yeah. sticking? What accomplishment did you do that you're sticking in somebody's face? You like, you refuse to say bad things about a team when they were bad. So that makes you more right when they're good. We're all right. They're good. And we're saying they're good. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. I'm not really saying a lot because I prefer to make fun of things when they're bad. I don't really, I don't have a lot of time to, you know, because, because it's A, what, less people are saying so i like to you know i th- i'd like to think that i can i can signal boost a little more when there's something bad to say but i'll say on this podcast things are great they're fantastic and finally this team is worth the prices we pay to watch them and you know the good i don't get why it's more it's better for the person who was happy the whole time they were shit i don't understand and you know what the best thing about winnipeg as a hockey market is you know the team often Gives you enough fodder for you know critical tweet tweets, yep. but but when the team is good, the fans will always be there for you. Oh yeah, there's just plenty. There's plenty to say about what fans do, so that's great. I, it, they're, they're 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 so despicable as a group. <laughs> they're just they're, they're you know what? Here's the thing. I've said this before. Um, I don't you know when I look at Twitter and and you know what on, you know what since 2016 this has kind of changed. Because there are, I, I, you know, you, you, we've seen the, the, the miserable, you know, the miserable fucking people that you see on Twitter as, 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 as uh, increased, you know, a million fold. But, you know, you can always count on Jets fans because, you know, just the, these people with miserable lives 
who, um, you know, this is their one thing that makes them happy and they can't, they can't, you know, they can't, they, they can't abide by somebody daring to say things that they don't like. And uh, they're still miserable. The team's winning and it's like, well, you know, we're, we're showing them. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm just as happy as you are. Maybe I'm a little bit more happy because, you know, I kind of feel like all that time I was saying all these things that needed to change, some of them changed and now they're good. So really, you know, I was right. And hey. you were right. Oh, I posted and it And other today. people were right. People are like in your face and it's like, go listen. I said they were going to finish sixth and be in the playoffs. So, yeah. you know. Listen. For four years previous to last year, I was like, you got to get a new fucking goaltender. And now what is holding this team? What is first and foremost on this team? I, well, okay, they're scoring a lot of goals too. But that fucking goaltending is, is fucking great. Yep. And and you know what? And and you know what? It, it, last year, you know, uh, it wasn't so great. But, it, you know, this year it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I was right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm just as happy as everybody else. Uh, anything you want to talk about? Fuck no. No, eh? I, w- I want to talk wrestling, buddy. Wrestling. All right, let's let's talk wrestling. This probably this this is a this is a shorter show, and there are only four matches, but I think there's going to be plenty of material here. Oh yeah, this is uh, we're going to be talking today. WWF Canadian Stampede. Uh, this is the 16th version of In Your House. You want to tell us about In Your House? In Your House was a series of pay-per-views that the WWF, uh, now of course known as WWE, introduced in 1995. Uh, So what happened was they had five pay-per-views at the time. Uh, Five three-hour pay-per-views, full-priced pay-per-views. And they decided in 1995 that they were going to go to monthly pay-per-views. But if if it wasn't one of the big five shows, they were going to produce these shorter two-hour pay-per-views yep. from smaller venues and at a discounted price. Indeed. Uh, uh, they branded them as In Your House. Uh, initially, Ugh. initially Disgusting. it was just, you know, In Your House, In Your House 2, In Your House 3. And then very quickly, uh, they gave them titles so that, you know, because eventually you're just like, In Your House, what? And like we're in 1997 with this show, and we've already got 16. <laughs> now, in your house was called that because they had in the first in your house they were giving away a house, and so they that was promo, and it was like the WWF's in your house, and you can win a house. It was a terrible name. It was fucking stupid. Classic WWF, by the way. Uh, when they started subtitling them, it got it got a bit better, but it was still had that stupid fucking cartoon graphic. I hated it. And so what what happened eventually was, uh, first of all, they decided that they would move them to three hour pay per views and charge full price. Which, according to Dave Meltzer, that the company was in financial trouble for a while in the mid nineties, and yeah. almost immediately when they went to full on pay per view pricing on these in your house shows, they all fucking made a ton of money. Of course, because, they did. because a they were making more money on the shows, and b People took the product and were like, like people who were not buying in your house because they figured it was shit. All of a sudden, started buying the longer shows because they were they thought they were better shows. Yeah, and then you know what? And and at that point, WWF was had very strong main event scene as well, so that that also helped. Yeah, so uh, that happened, and then of of course they eventually just dropped the in your house part and gave a bunch of other names to the shows. So and they still continue to kind of rename them and tweak them here and there. And- as some of them are stipulation shows and they're shit, um, but they still there's still kind of the big four, and then all the all the other kind of you know in your house style ones, even though they are just as just as fucking long. But uh, this one Canadian Stampede uh, took place on July sixth, nineteen ninety seven, at the Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, this was the uh, the attendance for this show. 12,151 with uh, 10,974 paid for a live gate of $229,000 plus about $65,000 in merch. Um, it was the third largest crowd ever for wrestling in Calgary. The pay-per-view buy rate for this was a 0.59, which roughly translates to about 209, 210,000 buys. The average buys for the big five pay-per-views in 97 was 228,000. So this was not a bad number for them. No, so this was kind of a big show. Uh, so we're, we're going to get into Give us this the backstory. Right? Okay, go. 
Well, you oh, you want me to give the backstory? Yeah, I gave I gave the tale of the tape, the numbers. Okay, so um, about eight or nine months before, and we actually reviewed the show a few weeks ago at Survivor Series in 1996. You can still you can still get this one on iTunes, folks. Yes, yes, until still we, there. Yes, we we have seven of our most recent shows on iTunes always, so that is still there for you. Uh, I'd still be there past Christmas, so uh, you might be okay if you're listening to this a little late. Uh, Bret Hart uh, returned to the WWF and pretty much immediately yep. went into a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, he came back as yes. a babyface, but very quickly, um, things weren't kind of... Like, Bret Hart has always been popular, but things weren't kind of jiving in the same way, and the feel around the Federation was changing, and a lot of that was due to Steve Austin, who was a villainous character who was gaining, quickly gaining popularity. Yes. Uh, Brett feuded with him. There was a decision made that they would actually do a double turn, so Brett would turn bad and Austin would turn good. But something that they decided to try and uh, that worked out very well was that Bret Hart ended up becoming a villain in the United States, but in the rest of the world, and especially Canada, uh, was a uh, good guy. He was a monster good guy so, and a monster heel in the States. So what would happen was if they would broadcast a show in the States, Bret Hart would work heel and get booed yep. out of the building. And if yep. they were in Canada, he would work babyface and people would cheer for him like crazy. Uh, you can go back uh, if you have the WWE Network. You can go watch the Raws in 1997 post-WrestleMania. So in, in you know April, May, June, July... Watch the ones where you can uh, you can watch an American show and then a show in the states and a show in Canada. It's craziness. And like watching this at the time was was truly something to behold. And for this, like for this, you know, WWF, like this is new. This has never happened before. No. Uh, and so, fortunately for everybody, uh, the WWF was lined up to run a pay per view out of Calgary in July. Calgary. Yeah happens to be the home of not only Bret Hart, but the whole Hart family. Yes. So over the course of this turn that Bret had, he quickly assembled an army of people who were uh, some of his relatives and people who were associated with uh, Stampede Wrestling, which was Bret Hart's father, Stu Hart's uh, wrestling company that he had run for uh, about 40 years, 30 years. Yeah. uh, at that point, and uh, Brett's brothers, and uh, these the the assemblage of people in his uh, in the Hart Foundation ended up being people who had been associated with uh, Stampede Wrestling and and were members of the Hart family. So we're talking about yes. Brett's uh, brother Owen, uh, his brother-in-law the British Bulldog, his other brother-in-law Jim Neidhart, and Brian Pillman, who was uh, a, a late member of the uh, of Stampede Wrestling and. Uh, the train under Stu Hart. Yeah, train under Stu Hart in the late 80s. So there were the five of them. And so in Calgary especially, like in Canada, they were cheered. In Calgary, it was it was crazy. Bonkers. Yeah. So they uh, the WWF booked the five of them to wrestle uh, five American wrestlers. And Brett said, you know, put any five Americans together and the five of us will uh, wrestle them at the Stampede. Now, this, of course... Uh, would be the main event of this show, and we'll get to that. This is, um, uh, you know, you uh, who love multi-man tags would have been so excited. Oh, yes. Ten-man tags are the best. They're the fucking best. Not elimination, just straight tag. That uh, means fucking action and excitement, bell to bell. And uh, the reason for the, the ten-man, I mean, first of all, th- there were so many things that this could accomplish and did accomplish. One is that Brett... Um, uh, he had made his return, but he had injured his knee um, yes. after WrestleMania and uh, had to um, have some, you know, not major, but some surgery done. He had, his, he had his knee scoped, yeah. Yeah. And so at this point, he's actually returning to the ring and is probably still not in shape to wrestle a match by himself, but can no. certainly participate in a 10-man tag where he can hop in and out of the ring. Um, yeah. The other thing is that you can set up through this 10-man a bunch of matches for down the road. And so they actually were able to set up... SummerSlam. Yeah, they were able to set up a bunch of SummerSlam matches with some of the individual pairings. Uh, and also, a 10-man tag, you can... Uh, guys who are, let's say, more limited in terms of what they can do, 
uh, can, like Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Yeah. Yes, and that's the person I was thinking of. Uh, can, <laughs> that big bastard. Uh, can, <laughs> that big rhino. Uh, <laughs> can participate in uh, these matches, but and and do enough to get over, but not do too much that they're exposed. Perfect. So it's a really good setup, and uh, that is the main event, and uh, it is during the Calgary Stampede, which is uh, traditionally in, in uh, Calgary uh, up till that point, or especially, yep. again, in 80s, 70s, uh, the biggest Stampede wrestling shows would run that week. Yes, indeed. So this is a kind of a big deal in Calgary, for sure. Um, you know, outside of Calgary, not so much. It just was another pay-per-view, but they... Uh, as you'll see, they do a good job, kind of pulling it all together. It's 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 quite a good uh, quite a good show. Uh, according to the Wikipedia, yes, in your house sixteen Canadian Stampede consisted of professional wrestling matches involving different wrestlers from pre-existing scripted feuds, plots, and storylines that were played out on Raw is War. Wow, that is some serious fact dropping. Wrestlers right there, portrayed a villain or a hero as they followed a series of events that built tension and culminated in a wrestling match or series of matches. <laughs> oh man, oh man, I love I love that description. Uh, so this was a format show. Yes, it was. Uh, there was a dark match that was played on the uh, pre-show, but this main the show free was free for all match. Yeah, it was the Godwins against the New Blackjacks? Thank God they didn't include it on the network. Yes. Because that would, that would have sucked. Yes. Uh, so what we'll do is we will break down the four main matches from this show. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, we'll just say it now. This show was fucking amazing. Did you watch this when it aired? When it was like live on pay-per-view? Yes. I Didn't we watch it together? I did not watch it. I watched it. It was fucking great. Yeah, I missed that one. This, this, was, a great, this was a great show. And this, this match, this main event match, I mean... It may be the perfect match. It, it could very Agreed. well be. And, like, that's perfect. really hard because you've perfect. got... We'll talk about it when we get to it, too. But you've got ten guys that you got to deal with. Plus, you have the hearts. Yeah, in Calgary. It's craziness. Yeah. Uh, um, just as a little, a little bit of thing, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter had a, does a poll. Did, uh, after every event, their, their readers would, would vote. Um, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, uh, thumbs up. This uh, the the Wrestling Observer newsletter poll for this event, one hundred and fifty one thumbs up, no thumbs down, no thumbs in the middle. <laughs> so, even the smart marks were fucking into this. Uh, it was named the best major wrestling show of nineteen ninety seven, as well. Obviously, and to it's this day, good. and again, we talked about what an in your house is. Like an in your house is not really supposed to be a big show, but no, this. People talk about this show to this day. It's been twenty. It's been over twenty years, and people still remember this show. You can go back uh, to one of our earlier shows. Actually, we replay. It's on iTunes right now. We reposted it. Uh, we reviewed the uh, fourth version of In Your House. Terrible. Yes. So, the, the, you can juxtapose these two episodes if you if you want. It's still on uh, on our feed, so check it out. But for now, we're talking Canadian Stampede. All right, so I've got, as usual, I got my notes. I have the Dave Meltzer ratings, and I have the Wickeye. Yeah. So I will walk through it, and you will uh, you will chime in as needed. I will sprinkle. I will sprinkle throughout. All right. Uh, opening sequence of the show tells the story quite nicely about what's going to happen. WWF video packages always great. Uh, they have the awful house set still, so people the wrestlers like walk out of this fucking house. Yeah, it's, it's such garbage packs. Uh, Vince, Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and uh, Jerry Lawler are the commentators. They're all wearing ridiculous cowboy hats. Law oh my god, King! Uh, Lawler's, that massive. Lawler's is massive. Lawler's is massive. You know that that's just Vince because he's like, oh, God damn it, we're in Calgary. Uh, Jerry, you gotta wear a giant hat. <laughs> I'm sure Jerry was very happy to do that. Of course he was. I would have been. Amazing. Uh, what a ridiculous hat. Uh, match number one, Triple H versus Mankind. Uh, this would be Hunter S. Helmsley, pre-Triple H, a few months away. Yes, yes. From uh, from becoming a degenerate. And uh, <laughs> I just love it. I love talking about Degeneration X, the early version. I talked about it on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Yes. How... How what degenerates they were, especially in the way they dressed. <laughs> Wearing fucking I, I khakis and 
yeah, like 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 workout fucking diaper pants and like a gold gym leather jacket. At least Michaels at that point had like the fucking funky braids in his hair and the fucking black gloves. He kind of looked like a degenerate, but some days he'd be wearing fucking penny loafers and like khaki shorts. He'd be like, "That's a degenerate." <laughs> like honestly, it's 1997. I mean, you could paint a, a bit of a different picture, but anyway, at this point, Triple H is still kind of a uh, a blue blood. Uh, he has China with him as his manager. The story here is that Mankind has recently turned babyface. Uh, Triple H is a villain. They met a month before at King of the Ring in the finals. And uh, Hunter won the match with uh, tons of interference from China. And yes. uh, he became the King of the Ring. But they are just kind of continuing a feud at this point. Exactly. Uh, the Fink is also wearing a cowboy hat. Uh, Howard Finkel, the ring announcer. Uh, Triple H, I put his sort of in transition. Mankind is fresh off a face turn uh, in the match. Yeah. Mankind gets the offense to start, including an, uh, that elbow to the floor, which uh, is one of the many things that fucked him up. Don't do that. that the, the, those poor hips. Uh, Vince makes sure to tell us to get a look at the delts on China. <laughs> God damn it, Vince. Like, we're, we're, we're nearing the end of Vince's run as a commentator. Yep. And uh, that good old Dade, you know? <laughs> Uh, they, he will be missed on commentary. Uh, they fight up the ramp. Triple H takes a suplex on the ramp. Uh, Mankind, Mankind gets the mandible claw, but China gets a shot in behind the ref's back to break it up. Mankind gets whipped into yeah. China on the outside. She fucking slams him legs first into the steps. Um, yeah, it's fucking gross looking. Yeah, one of his favorite bumps. Uh, yeah. Triple H spends some time working over Mankind's leg. He puts a figure four on Mankind and uses the ropes for leverage. The ref clearly oh. sees it and pretends that he didn't. Yeah, well, you know, Triple H is a bad guy. Yeah. He holds the ropes for leverage. Uh, Mankind gets pushed into the turnbuckle, um, but then falls headfirst into Triple H's balls for that spot. Yeah, the big the big Dak headbutt. Uh, Mankind with the comeback, running knee into the corner, elbow to Triple H while he's in the tree of woe, pulling pile driver. Pulling pile driver! Yes. Uh, they spill to the outside. I love pulling pile driver. It's all... It's called that because you all yank the dude's packs to get them up. <laughs> you fucking pull his pants up. In the big fucking snuggie. <laughs> uh, they spill to the outside. Uh, Triple H and China get the offense on Mankind while the ref's back is turned. Uh, eventually, they spill again to the outside and they brawl into the crowd and it's a double countout. You know, not a bad double countout, I gotta say. Most of you, you might think double countout, you groan. This went about 13 minutes. It was fucking great. Uh, the reason for the double countout is because uh, they then proceed over the course of the rest of the show to brawl at various points uh, through yes. the crowd and on the outside and the outside of the arena. And uh, so they uh, they end up booking a cage match for SummerSlam. So it leads to something. It, it double countouts are yeah. okay if they're not the main event and it's not a big show and it leads to something bigger. Exactly. Uh, good match. Tease up from me. I gave it three stars. Uh, I gave it two and a half. Uh, yeah. I think I initially gave it three, and then uh, I there was some stuff I rated later that I knocked it down, but Meltzer also gave it three stars. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So, so you are right. Well, apparently, if Dave Meltzer says it's right, then, then I have to be right as well. That is correct. Well, because it's his star rating system, and thus everybody must think the same way, apparently. Uh, they do continue to brawl. They brawl in the penalty box. Vince has to make sure to talk about that it's in the penalty box. Now, here's the thing. I, you know, it was funny because I was watching this and they brawled in the penalty box. So that's a nice spot. And then later on, I noticed it was like the fucking boards are in plain view the whole night. And I'm like, that looks, why didn't they cover that up? And I remembered, oh yeah, because of the penalty box spot. Yeah. Like, that's it. The only reason you see the fucking hockey boards all night long is so because they wanted to brawl into the penalty box once. And it doesn't even look like the penalty box. It's got no glass or anything. <laughs> so really, it's kind of a throwaway kind of spot where it's like Vince could have just said anywhere in the building they brawled the penalty box. And you could have been like, yeah, I guess that. Yeah, okay. But nope, they had to have the actual penalty box there. Uh, so uh, we get highlights from the Calgary Stampede. Uh, we get highlights from the parade. Uh, Bret Hart meet and greet, key to the city ceremony, and a tug of war versus the firefighters, which the wrestlers won. <laughs> of course they did. Uh, then so much stayed. Uh, then we get Doc Hendricks in a dumb cowboy hat, uh, trying to interview the Hart Foundation in the locker room. Now, before this though, the 
they they did show that the all the Canadian marks lined up a mile for a Bret Hart autograph. Oh, I know. And that, you know what made me think? No wonder that dude's ego was so out of control. <laughs> like, uh, I'm fucking serious. A fucking mile to get a fucking piece of paper with a signature on it? Come on, Marks. I wonder if Bret Hart sized up any of the rats, though, during that. Oh, I'm sure there was some serious rats. <laughs> uh, Doc Hendricks is in a dumb cowboy hat. He interviews the Hart Foundation backstage, but before they can really get started, uh, Austin busts in. Yep. Uh, to get to the hearts, but he is held back by officials. And by that, I mean Tony Gurria and Pat Patterson. Yep. <laughs> uh, Bret Hart says he doesn't even want Austin five on one. He'll wait until it's five on five because he's in Calgary and he's a hero. Yeah, it didn't make sense. But anyway, well, because he's such a good guy. Yeah. I yeah. love Bret. Sometimes Bret, it's always like, I, I, I'm just such a good guy. <laughs> I'm Bret Hart. I, I'm just, I'm too, I'm, I'm, I'm too valiant. Fuck off. Uh, match two, uh, we have yes. the great Suzuki against Takamichi Noku, or as they called him throughout the match, Takamichi Noko. Takamichi Noko, you're right. The match doesn't start though. It ha- it's delayed because uh, a- this is where they where, where the brawl brawls into the penalty box. So the story here is that WCW is uh, the rival promotion is pushing cruiserweights, and they have pretty much raided all of the best guys in Mexico. Yep. Uh, and then also some of, like, you know, guys like Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho, some of the guys, like, guys who have wrestled in Mexico and Japan but are, you know, Canadians or Americans, and then a lot of Mexican wrestlers. So the WWF yeah. decides they're going to counter, and so they, they strike a deal with Great Suzuki, who runs a promotion in uh, Japan, and they get him and Takamichi Noku, uh, to run, to yes. do this match, and eventually, now I listened to uh, the Bruce Pritchard podcast. Yes, uh, he claims that Taka is the one that they wanted, but I really think it was Suzuki that they wanted first. I don't, I don't think there's any uh, doubt in, in anybody's mind that they wanted Suzuki. I, I think Taka Michinoku was a relative unknown. Yes. Uh, so they bring them both over to do this match. It's the first time both of them are wrestling in WWF. I believe that. Uh, Sasuke had wrestled in ECW, maybe? Yep. Um, but this is their first WWF match. Uh, there's no other thing. Like, they, they don't have vignettes. They don't have any... There was no storyline. They were just like, here's a match with these guys. And uh, they ring the bell, and the dudes just fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. So Sasuke comes out to some am- amazing anime music. Yep. Uh, Vince says that they're going to get some comments from Sasuke, and then they don't. <laughs> Uh, the dudes both get in the ring, and yes, as you said, before they start, Triple H and Mankind brawl out into the crowd, so they focus on that. So I guess the two like Japanese wrestlers just stood in the ring like geeks. Yeah, maybe they watched. I don't know. Yeah, they're all just they're all just standing there. All right, let's just watch this before we wrestle. Uh, so they start out the match uh, a little bit slowly, not bad. They're just kind of feeling each no. other out, uh, and then Sasuke nails Taka with a spin kick. Yep. Uh, he tries another kick. Taka catches the foot and fucking clocks Suzuki right in the face. So good. Uh, Suzuki puts Taka into the corner and drills him with kicks, including a fucking roundhouse kick to the face. It's awesome. Now, now Taka Michinoku uh, is kind of just a little dude, and Great Suzuki is also a little dude, but in like a mask and like a, essentially like karate pants and a shirt. Just so you have a visual. Uh, and these kicks, like, you know, obviously wrestling is a work, but these kicks, they're just like, fuck it. Well, he put it, he punted him right in the mush. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sasuke falls to the outside. Taka hits his springboard dive to the outside. Vince calls yep. him a samurai warrior. Because, <laughs> you know, he's Japanese. Yeah, he's got to be a samurai warrior. Uh, it, Taka gets some good moves in. Suzuki hits an Asai moonsault to the outside. Uh, we uh, This match, as we go through it, all of this stuff these days, you're like, okay, you could see that in a lot of matches. But in 1997, this is still relatively new stuff. In 97 WWF, this is new. Yeah. And uh, they would, of course, fight the next night on Raw, and it was awesome, too. Yes. Uh, Taka hits a Michinoku driver in the middle of the ring, but only gets two because yep. he's not going over in the match. Nope. Uh, Taka goes to the top rope, but gets hit with a drop kick as he comes off. Uh, Suzuki hits. That's always a sick looking move, dude. Uh, Suzuki hits a th- uh, t- thunder fire bomb, which is just a massive power bomb, basically. Yep. 
and then pins him with a tiger northern suplex. with a tiger suplex. Uh, this match it was fucking stiff. The kicks were fucking stiff. Uh, the flying stuff was good. It was just a fucking good match. The crowd didn't go nuts for it, um, but this was great. Well, this was a nice ten minute undercard match. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this when you're talking about if you have no build and two unknown guys. I don't know. I, I thought I thought it was stellar. Uh, I gave it three and three quarter stars. Four stars for me. Fucking loved it. Meltzer gave it four. You guys, again, best friends. Well, you know, I looked at Meltzer's ratings and copied them. Yeah, of course, because you were like, those are right. <laughs> those are right. I'm, I'm going to use the same ones. <laughs> uh, so we get uh, we cut to the outside of the arena, and uh, Triple H and Mankind Parking are outside. Brawl. Yeah, they're brawling. Uh, they're inclu- continuing the epic battle. Uh, including by a uh, Calgary Flames kind of painting, or like logo painted on the side of, I don't know, a production truck or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's great. A, uh, yeah, of course we were. You, you know, I that year we were at that very Saddle Dome uh, in February watching the Flames play the Bruins. Yes, we were. That was awesome. The days without Hawks in Winnipeg. I can't believe you weren't watching this pay per view with fucking uh, Johnny Superban Flash. I don't know what happened. I, I watched Raw the next night for sure. It's it's you know highly likely that you were being tips that night and couldn't watch. I it was very highly likely. Uh, so match three is a world title match with Undertaker against Vader. But before we get the match, uh, we yes. show footage of Ahmed Johnson, who was supposed to be in this match, hurting his Let knee. Let me guess. Now, hang on. Hang on. Before you go that, oh. I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark. Ahmed Johnson was supposed to have the world title match. He had turned heel. He was supposed to wrestle the Undertaker for the title. I'm going to take a wild guess here. I don't even know. He was injured. Yes. <laughs> Uh, he hurt his Fucking knee. Fucking Ahmed Johnson. And you Always know, injured. And you know what? Thank God. Oh, I know, right? Oh. Um, just, just dodged him. You know, that dude bullet. was fucking over in 95. That dude was over and was fucking awesome. It didn't take long for that, for that veneer to wear off. <laughs> uh, so instead we get Undertaker versus Vader. Uh, it's actually not a bad uh, idea because... Uh, at the start of 1997, before The Undertaker won the world title, they had a match at the Royal Rumble, and Vader won. Yes. Uh, they show footage of Vader... It works Vader. out. It's a good... It's, it's a good... You gotta throw in. Uh, they show footage of Vader beating Taker at the Rumble. Yeah. Uh, Vader is billed as being from the Rocky Mountains. Well, you know. I like the idea that he just, like, fucking roams around the Rocky Mountains and lives in caves. <laughs> Except except when he has to come out for pro wrestling matches, of course. Uh, Paul, and you know he covers he covers two thousand miles from north to south. Uh, Paul Bearer is with him for no reason other than Paul Bearer hates the Undertaker. Uh, so one thing, and I'll mention this a few times, but at this point, they are full on in the lead up to the reveal of the Undertaker's uh, thought to be dead brother, but not dead, Kane. Kane, yes. Uh, so there's talk about that from Paul Bearer, and also Paul Bearer has recently claimed that the Undertaker murdered his parents, and so throughout the match, Paul Bearer repeatedly refers to the Undertaker as the murderer or murderer. Murderer. So I'd like to stop for a second because I um I have to go outside and film a video of this plastic bag swirling around like an American Beauty. Oh, please do, please do. <laughs> it's all a plastic bag. It all keeps teasing me all flying under the car and then out the other side and then whips around. Well, maybe this what... bag, this, by the way, this bag, it's all, it's all getting so much heat for me. <laughs> maybe what you can do is uh, play some piano music and film a toy bicycle on a windowsill. I could do that or read poetry. Night. Look at this. It's fucking teasing me. It's all, it's all laying on my window. I love how you said, it's look at, show me who's boss. I look at, I like how you said, look at this to me who isn't there and to our listeners who are listening to this. <laughs> Look at this. Check this it's out. It's landing on my car. It's all it's all up against the window. This thing's fucking possessed, dude. Holy shit. Fuck. <laughs> by the way, a 40-year-old man so entertained by a bag. <laughs> I'm like a baby. Okay, anyway, let's get back to the match. Uh, and, and, and Paul Bearer and the murderer. Vince says that Paul Bearer is cowering. Jim Ross says it's pretty hard to hide when you're 400 pounds. And Ross says you ought to know. Uh, Undertaker starts out on the offense. The commentary focuses on his brother, who hasn't been revealed and won't be for another three months. Yeah, terrible. Uh, Vince, or sorry, Vader and the Undertaker spill out to, uh, out to the ringside area. 
Uh, they are so intimidating that a gang of teenage girls in the front row keep reaching out to touch them and laughing. <laughs> uh, the girls, by the way, I believe are Hearts, members of the Hearts family, but they're just fucking no-selling. They're selling. no-selling it, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fucking Hearts, right? Uh, when Undertaker is down on the outside, Paul Bearer yells, Murderer! 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 One of those, one of those girls has to be Natalia, right? I believe there. so, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, all right, so anyway. Uh, Taker knocks Vader to the outside again, and then he decides to chase after Paul Bearer, and Vader drills him from behind, and it's like, what a dumb move by the champ. Yeah, you know, Undertaker should know better. I uh, mean, you're, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a veteran. You gotta think. Like, you don't go after the manager. You're wearing the fucking strap, dude. Yeah. Uh, so after Taker gets knocked down, uh, Paul Bearer hits him with uh, his shoe, and then he struts proudly towards the camera, smirking, adjusting his collar, like so proud of himself. Ugh. But then his expression all changes to anger, and he's like, murderer! <laughs> <laughs> I hate Paul Bearer. Uh, Vader... I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't find him entertaining. Uh, Vader is on offense. He gets a two count. Uh, Paul Bearer yells, three count! Count you count to three! And then he looks at the audience and goes, shut up, you bunch of goofs! <laughs> You know, it, it, sometimes I wonder if you're doing, if it's Paul Bear at ringside or Nautilus. <laughs> Nautilus. It's a three! <laughs> uh, the fans start cheering for the Undertaker comeback, and it is so loud that the camera is actually shaking. Yeah, they get into this shit. It's it's uh, interesting, but the, the Undertaker's over. What, are, what can you say? Uh, Paul Bear covers his ears, because he doesn't want to hear the cheers. Of course uh, not. Taker goes for the choke slam, but Vader kicks him in the balls right in front of the ref. Yeah, that's a, that's that's pretty standard for 97. Uh, they screw up a tombstone reversal spot, but it actually turns out pretty good. Uh, yeah. Undertaker picks him up, but then Vader's supposed to reverse it. They end up falling, and Undertaker kind of just falls on top of them for a two count, so it's pretty good. Yeah, not, not bad. Uh, then uh, under, or Vader goes to the second rope to deliver the uh, Vader bomb. Yep. Uh, while he is bouncing on the ropes with his back to the Undertaker, the Undertaker sits up. He does uh, the big sit. He gets up. He walks over to uh, Vader and punches him in the balls. <laughs> he then gives Vader a second rope choke slam for two, another choke that slam for two, and yeah. then he fucking gives a tombstone to Vader, which is super impressive. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, and he wins with the tombstone. Uh, I actually thought thirty-seven. This match went. Uh, I actually thought this match was really fucking good. Surprisingly good match. I gave it three stars. Uh, I gave it three and a half. Uh, Meltzer, shocker, gave it three stars. No, I gave it three and a quarter. Uh, I'm reading three. Oh, wait. Sorry. No, I'm looking at the first match. You're right. Three and a quarter. Woo! Damn. That's right. Right in the middle of us. Three and a quarter. Uh, great match. Fucking great Dang. match. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, listen. Um, you you Back then, um, it was an Undertaker match. Wasn't like a guaranteed like good match. No, it was not. And, uh, this this one was definitely a pleasant surprise. Uh, we get more footage from Stampede Weekend. Uh, we get a video package of the main event. Uh, they focus a lot. Yeah, we see a bunch of marks talking. And, <laughs> and the video package for the main event, the first part of it, all focuses on other gangs that have formed in the WWF. Because at this time, <laughs> and I believe this is Vince's idea, he's like, God damn it, we got to have gangs. Yeah, they had gang wars with a Z. So they had... A uh, African American gang. They had a white biker gang. They had a Hispanic gang. They had the Heart Foundation gangs. Yep. Oh yeah, it was all about gangs. They had the oh, and don't forget the uh, South African Truth Commission. Oh Jesus. Uh, the less said about that, the the, the better. Uh, so uh, we get an uh, interview with the Austin team backstage. So the Austin team is Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom. Not a not a bad little roster, dudes. I believe, and I don't know if this is legit. I'd have to go back and see it, but I don't think that that was the initial idea, especially the Goldust part. I feel like it might have been someone else for that slot, but Goldust ended up getting it. Hmm. I'm not sure. Though. I would like to point out uh, for anybody wondering, conspicuous by his absence, Shawn Michaels. Yes. Uh, anybody wondering? I mean, there's no way Michaels was going into Calgary. No, there was not. To, to, to lose a match uh, to anybody in the Heart Foundation. So he was not going to be in this match. It was not him. You're right, though. It, it might have been someone else, right? 
Uh, yeah. So they interview the people. Goldust says some stuff. Ken Shamrock says it. Well, Goldust says he was the peacemaker that brought the whole team together. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Ken Ken Shamrock says it's knuckle up time. And the LOD says, what a zone. He's in the zone. Uh, Austin, when it's Austin's turn to talk, he all just fucking walks away, which is great. All Mistopheles style. Uh, so they decide to do the Canadian national anthem with Farmer's Daughter. This is done just to rile up the crowd. Uh, Uh, you know, and, and for me, I just wrote PAX uh, nationalistic bullshit. Also, I mean, they're good singers, but this was so harmonized. It kind of wasn't the song. Yeah. Like I like throwing in some harmonization, but this was all to the point where it was like, that's not the song. Like, just stop. Just sing the fucking song. Uh, before the match, Howard Finkel introduces a few celebrities. Uh, he introduces uh, Ralph Klein, boo. the premier of Alberta. He gets a mixed reaction. Uh, he also introduces Stu and Helen Hart, and of course, a monster pop. Yes. Rightfully so. Well, the matriarch and patriarch of, of Calgary wrestling. So I'd mentioned uh, earlier on in the show, uh, along yes. with Stu and Helen, we have all the hearts there. And again, as we're going to get into this match, the hearts, uh, some of them are booked into how this match goes. And I, again, I yep. just think how fucking difficult must it have been to fucking herd these guys? All... Imagine sitting there. Okay, Bruce, you're going to do this. And Bruce is like, I want to do more. <laughs> Can I? Because, I... you know, Bruce at this point is trying to get booked. Yes, he is. So Bruce is and, probably know, like, Wayne look. He's probably like, I want to get booked. You know, uh, Keith, you know, yeah. uh, Smith. They're just like, what else can I do? Is that it? Come on. <laughs> the fucking hearts, man. Uh, so uh, we get the introductions. Again, this fucking match, we're going to talk at length about this. It's a fucking masterpiece from start to finish. Uh, now, yeah, I'm wondering if, if Patterson put this together. Yes, he did. Because uh, this this is this seems like a, uh, like uh, this, this just seems so well done. It has to be good old Pat. Uh, so gold, we get the intros first. Gold dust in first. Shamrock next. The huge booze. Shamrock's yes. music sucks, by the way. Oh, it really does. Uh, by the way, Jim Johnston uh, done with WWE. Yeah, I guess they're putting all their eggs in the uh, in the uh, kind of short, uh, loopy kind of uh, entrance themes. Um, uh, well, who's that band? The CFOs. That makes sense. They've they gone away. I mean, you know what? You know what? I guess the the air of symbols is finally over. Yes, it is. Uh, LOD out next, and then Austin out to massive booze, and he's fucking loving like, it. I've I've almost never heard a heel reaction like Steve Austin at this event. Yeah, he, it's basically the equivalent of the babyface reactions he would get, uh, you know, in nineteen ninety eight and ninety nine, and he fucking loves it. He's got a big grin on his face. What I really like about this is that, like, like the dude's not the dude's getting legit fucking heel heat. Like, this isn't X-Pac heat. Like, we don't want to see you. This is, we want to see you. Uh, we love watching you, and we want to see you get your ass kicked. It's amazing. Uh, so then we get the hearts coming out. We start off with Pillman, or as my iPad corrected, Pullman uh, comes out. And uh, he eggs the crowd on a little bit to uh, to pump up their reaction. So then next out, we have uh, Jim Neidhart out to generic music because they can't play Heart Foundation music because they're, they're saving that for Brett. They're saving it for Brett. They don't want the big pop. That, that, was, that was strange to watch. Uh, Vince. Just out to some, some fucking ridiculously bad. Yeah. Vince calls him the big nasty rhino. <laughs> well, that's what he is. The big rhino. <laughs> the big rhino. Uh, Bulldog comes out next with Diana and people are going fucking crazy. Ah, uh, yeah, some rural Britannia for your ass. Uh, <laughs> uh, Owen comes out next to his old school music with, that we used to have our special dance for. Ah, uh, the sco music, the uh, the the rockets music. Uh, Fucking has, great. He I has the Owen. slammies, and people are going crazy for him. And then finally, Brett comes out last, and it's fucking bedlam in the arena. People go crazy. I would be. Re- I, I wanted to just mention that it is awfully fun to hear the the massive pop for Owen because you just it's not really something that you ever really hear. No. Uh, no, so it's fucking great. So they hit but the Brett, ring. My God. Uh, they hit the ring and immediately the five baby faces and the five heels kind of stand off in the middle of the ring. Big, big fucking stare down. Uh, awesome. G- at this point, Jim Ro- Ro- Ross makes reference to a documentary being made about Bret Hart, which would of course become wrestling with shadows. Yes. 
so they don't actually start with a brawl. Uh, everybody clears out of the ring, except for Brett and Austin, who are the two yep. top guys on each team. Yep. Uh, they begin with a slugfest, which Brett gets the better of. He fucking puts Austin in the corner. Yep. And is fucking kicking him and stomping him. The crowd is works to a fever pitch. The building is shaking and the cameras are shaking. It's fucking crazy. It's like watching playoff Hawks in yeah. overtime. It's, it's, it's fucking madness. Yeah. Um, Brett, our Austin eventually gets a uh, low blow uh, for a bit of the advantage. He gets the uh, million dollar dream on Brett. They do the pinfall spot, uh, but Bre- yep. Austin kicks out. Yeah. Well, cause he's, he's learned. Yes. Uh, Brett then tags out to the big rhino. The big rhino comes in. Uh, Austin gets <laughs> Austin gets the advantage uh, quickly, and then he tags in Ken Shamrock. <sighs> Ken Shamrock gets the advantage on the big rhino. Uh, yep. Puts the ankle lock on him, but fucking Pillman all walks in and just drills Shamrock and fucking laughs at him. <laughs> I love Pillman. Pil- with I his- mean, uh, now, for everybody listening, I mean, Pillman at this point, is really like uh, this is the last few months of his life um his his wrestling career was was cut short even though he was still wrestling you know he was not the same guy that he was um but man could that guy like sell things and uh and and could uh, and could do psychology so he, good on, good on pillman in here he was in a good spot he had a terrible motorcycle accident and basically destroyed his leg so it was reconstructed yep. to the point where he could walk, but he really couldn't do anything else. Yeah, his ankle was fused, so he couldn't. Uh, he had very limited mobility in his ankle. And uh, he would have last if he had not passed away a few months later. He would have survived for a number of years because of his uh, his personality, like his gimmick. Yeah. Um. Yep. But but couldn't really work in the ring. So this this is actually probably like the really the last great Brian Pillman moments are in this match. Absolutely. And and he is doing the loose cannon gimmick. So he is he is one of the first like he would have fit right in with the Attitude Era. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's fucking great. I love watching Pillman. So speaking of Pillman, one of my favorite sequences of all time in wrestling. Uh yes. Pillman gets tagged in. Yep. He rakes Ken Shamrock's eyes. Then he fucking <laughs> is holding Shamrock up by his hair and fucking yep. spits right in his face. <laughs> It's so fucking good, and people are going crazy. Like, and it's not the like face in the match. they do like they do spit takes in wrestling sometimes, but usually you'll like spit across the ring. This one, yeah. he literally just puts pulls the guy's face right in front of his and spits right in his face just to be a dick. Amazing. Amazing. Then he hits a backbreaker on Shamrock. Shamrock is on the mat. Pillman all kind of covers him, but grabs Shamrock's arm and is fucking tapping it into the ring and yelling at the ref <laughs> that he's tapping out. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so great. Uh, Owen and Goldust come in next. Uh, yeah. Massive cheers for Owen. Then the fans start chanting, Austin sucks. Austin, who's still on the apron. Yep. Uh, Hawk gets tagged in next, and he fucking hits a top rope splash on Owen. <laughs> I know, right? So weird. Uh, Bulldog comes in next. He gets the power slam on Hawk, but Animal breaks it up. Uh, he also hit the delayed suplex. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, Bret Hart puts Goldust in the Tree of Woe in the Hart Foundation's corner, and the five of them just wail on the dude. And again, people going crazy. To massive cheers. Faces. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, Owen uh, gets caught in the Doomsday device from the Legion of Doom, but the fucking big rhino breaks it up. <laughs> uh, this leads to a brawl. Uh, during the brawl where everybody is brawling, Austin gets a hold of Owen's uh, Owen's legs. Yep. Drags him to the corner, wraps him around the ring post, and uh, drills Owen's leg with the chair. Then then takes a shot at Bruce. That's right. Bruce, uh, who is sitting in the crowd, gets a shot in. So Bruce must have been so excited. And you know, and you always know it's Bruce because he's got the shades on. <laughs> um, Owen, at this point, uh, is selling the knee injury, and he gets escorted backstage. Yes. So we're down to five on four now. Uh, Austin... Uh, and Pillman are in the ring next. Austin is whipping on Pillman. Pillman is trying to run away. Austin has him by the tights, exposing Pillman's ass. And uh, Pillman is running around yep. getting hit by everybody. Yep. Uh, he gets the stunner on Pillman, but Pillman falls to the outside of the ring. Uh, there is another brawl. And during this yep. brawl, Brett gets a hold of Austin. Yes. Uh, drags him to the turnbuckle. Hits his knee with a uh, fire extinguisher and puts the ring post figure four on Austin. 
Ring post figure four. Uh, Austin at this point has to be taken to the back as well. So we've evened things up. Yes. This is not an elimination match. No. They're just getting some bodies out for some returns. Uh, Shamrock goes in with Brett. Uh, he has Brett on his back and gets a hold of the leg, but Pillman comes in and clotheslines him again. Pillman's so much cheating. I love it. Uh, Shamrock gets thrown to the outside, and Pillman throws him violently over the announce table, and this leads to another brawl, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love because after, like, it's like they, they can't contain themselves. No. They get so mad at each other, they all just have to keep brawling. But then they get, that settles down, but then they build it back up to another brawl. It's tremendous. Uh, Bulldog and and uh, Shamrock go at it. Bulldog puts Shamrock in the corner and gives him a fucking stomping too, which you yep. ra- you rarely see from the Bulldog, even when he was a heel. Yeah. But he's so yeah, excited. Straight up fucking masterful brawling. Uh, Shamrock then escapes that with a guess what, everybody? Low blow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Goldust gets a curtain call on the Bulldog, but Pillman comes in again to break it up. You know, Pillman, the MVP of breaking up pins in this match. Uh, Bulldog hits a superplex on Goldust, which they almost fuck up. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it didn't look very good. Uh, Austin, at this point, limps back from the backstage area to the ring. Yep. Him and Brett go at it again. This time, Austin uh, gets some moves in, and then Brett gets some of his stuff in. Eventually... Yeah, he gets gets a DDT, and uh, then gets the, starts the five moves of Doom. Uh, eventually, though, Austin uh, is in a position to put the sharpshooter on Brett, but as he's doing it, Owen scurries yes. back from uh, the backstage area. As only Owen can do. Yes, into the ring, and he and he makes the save. So now that's Owen's triumphant return to the match. Yes. Uh, Austin clotheslines Owen to the outside. He throws him back into the ring, but then Bruce tosses a drink at Austin. Yes, or is it Wayne? No, this one is Bruce. Okay, Bruce, yeah. Uh, Austin turns around, and he goes after Stu. That's right, then Wayne jumps in. Yeah, then the Hart brothers come in, and they spill over the railing, and they're brawling with Austin. It's so good. Uh, There is brawling everywhere. Uh, Austin gets back into the ring, but he is distracted by the chaos outside, and he gets rolled up and pinned by Owen for the win for the Hearts. Uh, 24 minutes and 30 seconds of pure madness. Uh, you have to see this match. Uh, what then happens? So the so booking-wise in the match, uh, the right team wins. Uh, it is great that Owen gets the pinfall uh, because yes. Brett, Brett doesn't need to get the pin in this. He, You know, you could give it to Brett, but you give it to someone to fucking build them, so you give it to Owen, which is great. Well, there, And he pins Austin because Owen and Austin are going to fight at SummerSlam. And Austin so now is- the Intercontinental Champion has a pinfall over the man that he is going to be facing. And the way that this goes and what we're about to talk about now also, Austin loses zero heat in doing this. Yeah, not at all. Uh, So what happens at this point is that uh, the brawl continues. Basically, right after the pin, they just keep brawling. Whoop-ass style. But but what happens is that all of now at this point, all the Hart brothers are involved. Uh, and so they're all in the ring and naturally they get the advantage on the, uh, on the Americans. So the Americans, you know, spill out of the ring and they make their way backstage to tremendous booing. (laughs) People are not happy with them. Yeah. And so the hearts in the ring, uh, begin their celebration and, uh, family members are starting to join them. But as this happens, fucking Steve Austin sneaks back in the ring with a chair. He drills the (laughs) anvil. Uh, in the back. <laughs> the big rhino. The big rhino. <laughs> and then uh, the hearts beat on him and security comes in. Uh, they, yep. they cuff Austin. Apparently Austin was pissed because they cuff him and have him down and the fucking hearts are still pounding on him when he's all defenseless. <laughs> uh, Austin, though, gets handcuffed. He is led away from the ring to tremendous booze and fucking with his hands behind his back, giving the finger to the crowd. So good. A classic... Uh, classic of screen uh, grab if you could find it it's fantastic with him giving the double birds from behind his back when they're handcuffed just Amazing. fucking tremendous it gives again basically erases any heat that austin would have lost uh from losing the yeah. match just yeah it, it just doesn't matter at that point because this is what you remember right oh absolutely i mean austin was the fucking star here i mean bar none though you know the hearts were over with the crowd 
I mean, Austin comes away looking amazing. And uh, just just a fantastic match, a fantastic end. The, uh, the All the hearts get in the ring and some heart friends and things like that. And they party. And um, fantastic match. Four and a half stars for me. Uh, I gave it five. I was just like, it, nice. honestly, like there was there, you know, there were flaws in it, but it's it's the perfect match, like the perfect. For crowd. me, it's just the quality of the of the opponents. That that's it for me. I just I watch. Yeah, I wasn't interested as much in uh, rock, and that's the only reason why uh, you put some other dudes in there, and I'm fucking. And it's not because they're bad. It's just because I wasn't interested in them. At the time or now, really. So yeah. that it brings it down a little bit for me. But it's 24 minutes. It's never boring. It's always something happening. Fresh matchups. Uh, it's there's funny things. There's serious things. There the crowd is nuts. The perfect team wins. It's just the stars aligned for this match. You know, this event is really a celebration of wrestling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it really is. It's a celebration of everything you love about professional wrestling. Uh, right, I mean, you got, you got, you got, it's got it all. A tremendous pape. Uh, in come the hearts. By the way, they fill the ring, including Stu and Helen, and the show ends with like, like there's got to be a hundred hearts in there. Those fucking hearts, like rabbits. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Multiplying all over the goddamn place. Uh, so there you go. That is uh, in your house, Canadian Stampede. Like highest if, recommendation. Yeah, if you didn't realize by now, see this show right away. You have to see it. We review a lot of shows on the sleepover wrestling shows. This might be the one where it's like, you got to see this. Yes. Uh, so anyways, that is uh, it for this week. And uh, we're going to be coming back at you in a week. Uh, our last set of tapings before the special holiday season. Now, uh, we are, you know, uh, this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this is a shoot. We are going to be doing our favorite songs of the year yes. coming up. And then we got a special show. It's going to, I believe, going to come out on Christmas Day. Yes. So you can enjoy the holidays. I won't... Uh, actually, I, we probably should talk about it because we're going to have to plug it and start plugging it. We're going to do a, an, an Ask the Pals at the Mezzanine Sleepover. Yes. So we're going to be answering your questions. So uh, you'll see us on Twitter uh, soliciting questions. You can email any questions you have to mezzaninesleepover at shaw.ca. You can DM either one of us or the Mezzanine Sleepover account on Twitter. Uh, hit us up with any questions that you want us to answer. We're going to open up the fucking vaults. We're going to shoot from the hip. It's going to be an episode unlike any other on Christmas Day. It's Holiday amazing. Stuff. And by the way, coming in the new year, for sure, like very early, I just think we should do something about music videos. Just saying. I really think we should. Uh, you know what? That that it, What a great way to ring in the new year. I think so, too. Right. So, it's going to be it's going to be on on January 1st. So we might as well ring in the new year with music videos. Folks, it's going to happen. <laughs> Mark it down on your calendars. But uh, like we said, come back next week for uh, our favorite songs of the year. Two weeks with uh, Ask, uh, Ask the Pals and uh, the New Year music videos. We'll talk to you later, folks. All right, ready? Go! Music.